within the depths of a conveniently abandoned Midwestern cinema where nobody can hear you screaming. Safely out of the reach of a global conspiracy that seriously has no sense of humor, a secret society will assemble to continue their work condemning the perverse and heretical, or so help me, I'm going to clockwork all your oranges, to scrutinize those films which are rumored to drive viewers to madness and dissolution. Draw closer, dear listener, let your trembling ears sup upon the eldritch knowledge of the Cinemania Society. We, the fellows of the Lenten Society, hereby the story so far, having decided to seek justice, no! finally getting a chance to pick a film. Mm-mm. Don't make me release the nerve gas. I have gases, all right? All right. The society has decided to take a nice little break to look at how to get ahead in advertising, a 1989 examination of anxiety and paranoia in the high pressure world of advertising. Richard E. Grant plays a man on the edge, driven to the very brink of madness by his inability to think of a slogan for pimple cream. He has been driving everyone else around him crazy, and it certainly doesn't help that a huge boil that grew on his neck has now developed a face and started to talk. We rejoin our heroes as the conclave continues, and it will continue, or so help me, I'll start getting testy. Don't you have more than one testy? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, over, over here. Clark, Clark Nova. Did you get the message to Brother Methuselah? Sure thing. Let's just say you probably shouldn't pin too many hopes on that donkey. I knew it. We need to figure our own way out of here. I, uh, I don't see how. He used a cunning British knots to tie these ropes. Oh, they're, they're completely unfamiliar. There's no safe word whatsoever. Keep trying. Don't give up hope. You better not, assholes. Unnecessary pun work there, but it holds up. We just have to play along until we can turn the tables on that lunatic. You know all those assassin guys? I miss them. I know what you mean. They only wanted to kill us. They didn't have to show us surreal British cinema while they did it. <sighs> Great perilous times. Let's get back to the summary. Don't raise any suspicion. Uh, <clears throat> I'll take this piece. Um, Things have not exactly been going well for Dennis, and so he has decided calmly and reasonably to explain himself, because that always works. He starts recording a video message for Julia on a giant 1980s camcorder, because as we have established, talking first person into a camera when you're unhappy totally establishes the fact that you're sane. You see this on YouTube all the time. Uh, of course, he doesn't want the boil to hear what he's up to, so he's placed a wine carton around his head so it doesn't hear him. Perfectly reasonable. <laughs> Again, completely reasonable, because we all know that cardboard blocks sound. I mean, it can if you use it correctly. <clears throat> well, he starts to explain that something incredible and terrible is happening in the world, and television advertising is at the root of it all, and he is not wrong. <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, he only gets a short way into what looks like uh, a long and terrifying manifesto before the boil awakens, however. Um, we can't see the boil, but we can hear it, and we can hear its mean little voice interjecting when Dennis is trying to explain everything. 
that Boyle has a nasty feeling he was going to wake up to this. The Boyle thinks that Dennis is talking bollocks, of course, going on about how advertising has become a holocaust, but burgers instead of bombs. Ooh, speaking <laughs> of holocaust, did anyone else notice, like, in the background earlier, the placeholder name for the pimple cream was Final Solution? Like, they said they didn't have a name, but the placeholder on the ad copy was Final Solution. You've got to be fucking oh, shit. Yes. Seriously? Yes. Yeah. Uh. There's a lot of, yes. of talk of bombs and warfare and comparing advertising to, to war. It's a, a very real illusion that they're making over and over. Yeah, but, yeah, but specifically, the use of the term final solution is very specific and really dark. No, wow, yeah, I did not see that. Well, I just want to point out something here, too, which is to say, yes, that's absolutely dark, and yes, that is that is creepy af. But keep in mind, this movie came out in 1989, and the only other major war that, that uh, the Western powers had been involved in was Vietnam, which, you know, up, immediately after this movie came out, we got into Desert Storm. And, um, or actually, no, we got into the, the thing in Panama, um, and then Desert Storm, or which started as Desert Shield in 1989, early 1990. So they kind of had to figure out how to repackage the war for an audience that was basically already like really skeptical of war because of what happened in Vietnam. And so they kind of had to, to turn it around and figure out how to sell it. So think about what was going on culturally at this time. Um, you know, you had all of the, the G.I. Joe toys being used to sell the Reagan era um, defense thing. And then kind of the similar tack that was taken with the, the, the Falklands War. You know, they, they, the Falklands, you, you can kind of look at the way the Falklands War was sold as, as, as a, a preview of the way that Desert Shield slash Desert Storm would be sold. War was definitely being sold to people at this time in history. It was being packaged and delivered on the news as being, you know, the righteous West interfering all around the world in correct ways. And even though there have been some slip-ups in the recent past, we're going to do it right from this point on. Yeah. So, very prophetic, I think. Anyhow, um, so the Boyle warns Julia that she should turn off the recording and burn it. Poor Dennis is cracked, and no mistake. This time the Boyle isn't just spouting adverts, it's actually conversing and Dennis is finding this harder and harder and harder to handle. Um, in the end, Dennis begs the Boyle to shut up, but it won't unless it's given a cigarette. Kind of reminds me of Clark Nova, actually. <laughs> Leave uh, my darling Clark Nova out of this. <laughs> uh, Dennis has no choice but to agree and heads off to find a cig for his Boyle, a uh, box on his head and everything. Boyle promises that it might be a nasty little bogey, a shanker, a moloch, but it would never break its word. A Boyle's word is its boily bond. And you can take that to the boily bank. <laughs> so, scrambling around for a cigarette in the kitchen, Dennis is confronted by the housekeeper, who is rather put out to see him prancing around with a box on his head. Dennis does try his best to explain that there's a good reason for all of this, perfectly rational, Completely good reason for all of this because, you know, that's something a sane person always says when they do something insane. No, no, there's a perfectly good reason for this. Well, he wasn't just uh, rumbling Julie... around like any part of the kitchen. He was in the housekeeper's purse, like in her purse, looking for the cigarette. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a problem. Uh, Julia comes in too, and she's more than willing to act like everything is completely normal if Dennis agrees to come along to a psychiatrist appointment. Finally, Dennis is going to get some proper mental health assistance. A very calm and reasonable psychiatrist asks him whether he or... Um, but anyhow, um, 
The very calm and reasonable psychiatrist asks him whether he or the boil is going to explain what's going on, and that immediately gets on Dennis's nerves. As far as he's concerned, the boil should be lanced immediately, and everyone should ignore anything that it happens to tell them. Uh, frankly, he points out, he has only agreed to come down off the garage roof if someone promised to stab the little freak off his neck. Which, I think this is a really key point, too. I think it's, this is, this is again, another a bit of allegory here. You know, like, somebody is clearly pointing out, I have a health problem that needs attended. Nobody actually wants to attend it because they just, they, they think it's better if they don't. Yeah, in effect, they're over-medicating here because they're, instead of treating this as a problem that can be dealt with physically by just removing the boil, everyone's decided that there's definitely an intense mental health problem that needs extreme exploration happening. Well, uh, once again, Dennis is given a chance to explain his reasons for his behavior, and he makes another speech. Advertising is Big Brother in reverse. Instead of watching us all the time, we watch it, and what's more, we do it of our own free will. Television could be the greatest instrument of communication since the wheel, but because of greed, it has become a force of brainwashing and oppression. Not that we know anything about that. Not that we analyze anything about that in this group. <laughs> no, nope, not at all. No, I have no idea what he's talking about. He's totally mad. Dennis is very upset that jungles are being leveled in order to farm more burgers and roads are covering everything. And he does have a bit of a point. And just to point out, the idea of we're being watched by advertising, to all the listeners at home with an Alexa listening right now, I'd just like to say, Alexa, subscribe to the Cinemania Society, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I have never heard an Echo device sound more bitterly ironic and, and sarcastic and grudging than when you ask it, Alexa, what is surveillance capitalism? Oh my yeah. god. That is very literally a thing we do right now and we pay to have it done to us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the convenience Okay, so the creature comforts. It's all worth it in the end, isn't it? No. Yeah, well, I could tell this thing to to play a song for me anytime I want to hear a song of whatever song I choose or radio when I choose and it just gets to listen to me 24 hours a day, 7 days a week and, you know, broadcast it to somebody who you know, somebody who works for Amazon, who, we, we just don't question, no problem. We just trust that this person's going to do the right thing. Or, nope. you know, not, not listen when we don't want them to listen. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, uh, <clears throat> Dennis's doctor, being a psychiatric professional, the psychiatrist wants to know if Dennis is masturbating a lot. And Dennis assures him that it's pretty much constant. After all, <laughs> what else would anyone with a talking boil do? Don't worry, I ask all my patients this question. It's for science. Do you masturbate a lot? How much do you masturbate? With how much uh, <laughs> frequency? How much uh, friction are we talking about here? How forceful? Describe properly? it in detail. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> you can't handle the lube. Get a grip on yourself. Come on. It's time oh. to take this problem in hand. Uh... <laughs> I know that's a hard joke to palm off on someone. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> this guy is not perhaps ta taking the boil all that seriously because after all the boil has mostly been spouting advertising slogans, so what does all that mean? Dennis feels that the boil is talking with the voice, which is to say the advertising voice. If you're selling toothpaste, the voice is a dentist. If you're selling perfume, it is a lover. More peeks behind the advertising curtain. Maybe the boil doesn't like being talked about because it finally speaks up. The psychiatrist obviously thinks that the voice is coming from Dennis himself, which it kind of is, but he wants to know what the boil has to say. 
The Boyle reveals that Dennis's grandfather had something of a funny turn in a zoo and apparently was found making sweet, bouncy, bouncy love to a wallaby. Oh, oh, Dennis, Dennis clarified that all he did was put his hand in the wallaby's pouch. We don't know whether it was a sex thing or not, but he said he just had his hand in its pouch. He's very clear about that. Well, uh-huh. uh, the, you know, mm-hmm. we know how the, we, we know how you English are. Hey! Even table legs turn <laughs> you on. Jesus! Well, you know, you have to admit that Americans were the same way during the Victorian era as well. If you want to hear some really funny stuff that, uh, on that same point, um, uh, Behind the Bastards just did a, a couple of episodes about uh, the Holy Rollers uh, sort of Victorian era uh, sex cult in Oregon, <laughs> which is really funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that was one of my favorite sex cults. <laughs> you ranked them all. But anyhow... <laughs> <laughs> Rank seven out of ten. <laughs> Naturally, Dennis is not happy having his family secrets spouted by a talking boil. If anything, he shows a lot of restraint, limiting himself to screaming at his own boil to shut up. The Doesn't psychi- really go down well with the psychiatrist when he starts yelling at his own skin complaint. <laughs> I don't think that would go down very well with anybody in a, in a medical field. Or anyone who has to interact with you. <laughs> Uh, the psychiatrist feels that this problem ought to be faced head on. They need to have a look at the boil together and face up to it. He removes the crude bandages Dennis has been wearing and leads him to a mirror, obviously hoping that Dennis will see that it's just a harmless everyday boil and calm down. But it's far worse than that. The boil has grown and now has a fully formed tiny human face and hair and fuckers grown a mustache. It's turning into a little second Dennis growing out of the side of his neck. This does not do anything to ease Dennis's state of mind, and sadly, Dennis is having some big feelings on the matter. So there's there's no this, one but this, Richard like... E. Grant who can really sort of announce, the fucker has grown a mustache in quite that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this ambiguity about like whether it's just in his head or the boil's real, but if you notice when the psychiatrist takes the bandage off, when you see the reflection in the mirror, it is just a regular boil. They only show it for like half a second. You only see the boil. And then when they pull away from the mirror and we see Dennis's face and the boil, that's when we see little Dennis. Which is, I mean, if you said little Dennis, my first uh, thought would not have been that it was a boil. <laughs> but. Well, clearly something has to be done. Dennis is taken into hospital. Only surgery to remove the boil will help him. The psychiatrist feels that the boil represents the dark side of his personality. The side of him that's bullying and cruel and sells soap and shampoo and shitty pimple cream. The boil has become his very own big brother and it has to go. And I don't think he's wrong. <laughs> so subtle. Yeah, he's hit the nail on, this, on the head in, in his own way. It's almost like when you say the title of the movie in the movie. Right. Well, you know, once again, we have another example of Sob Tall T, which is really funny in, in a British film that they, that they are so unsubtle at this point. Uh, Anyway, so Dennis wakes up in a hospital after being given a whopping dose of barbiturate to help him take it easy, and he has a little, he has a little time to wait before the surgery. You will relax whether you like it or not. (laughs) Relaxation by force. Good thing. Well, barbiturate, yeah, we, uh, I'm surprised that Clark Nova hasn't scuttled in here. You seem to think that they haven't. I've been here the whole time. Oh, God. The 
barbiturates are only in the movie, Clarky. Here, where's that Narcan? Where's that Narcan? <laughs> Is that for you or for Clark Nova? No, for Clark Nova. <laughs> oh, I found a bottle of something moist. Anyway, he has a little time to have things out with the boil at last. And as far as the boil is concerned, these are the last few hours they have together, so they may as well have a nice chat. Dennis is not in the mood to bury the hatchet and delivers all sorts of threats. The boil accuses him of being a communist because he wants to take people's lovely cars away and put them on trains. Communism bad. Well, I mean, isn't that what always happens when people point out, like, hey, look, uh, advertising, you guys are really fucking up people and really fucking up the earth, and all they do is accuse you of being a communist. Yeah, yeah. So they say the environmental movement is like a watermelon. It's green on the outside and red on the inside. What the f- Yeah, you haven't heard that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not joking. I've seen people say that in earnest. <laughs> Yes, because anything that benefits the greater society as opposed to just the individual must be communism. God forbid well, that's we just the want a better part, society right? in people general. People start complaining about... Yeah, people start complaining about socialism like, oh my god, you're just, you're just a socialist at heart. Next thing you know, we're going to have trains that just carry everybody around wherever they need to go for free that reduces the damage to the environment. And you're saying that people won't have to work. They'll just get like a roof over their heads and a basic income. And I'm like, yep. well, that sounds like a fucking party, guys. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. And it's not like a fancy, you know, living it up income. It's a basic income. It's not die of starvation or cold income. You still want it. There's still incentive to work and get better things. Buy an iPhone well, how, you get, how else are you going to get people to, to be so desperate that, you know, they're willing to work uh, really dog shit jobs and, uh, yeah. or join you the know, for, for, for almost no money, you know, yeah. or, put, or put themselves, yeah, exactly, or join the military. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, because so. studies have shown over and over and over again that people don't just sit around, they do things, even mm-hmm. with, like, the studies of um, uh, UBI and all of that, that productivity and people doing things trademark uh doesn't really change yeah and it doesn't disincentivize work do the things that yeah i mean it would me but uh i just want to sit on my ass and play video games all day yeah exactly but you know of course if you were to you know if people weren't desperate then they wouldn't be so easily manipulated it's like exactly. the mark said you know uh, <laughs> people who have given up hope are easy to control Yes. Yes, I did just drop a never-ending story reference. Got him. Um, anyway, uh, so Dennis has a lot to say about cars and why cars are bad. They just consume more and more and make everyone more greedy. Uh, the Boyle, on the other hand, can't stand trains and thinks that's exactly what a communist would think. And I should point out, this was a very real debate happening in British society at the time of this film, because we just had a Tory government for about 10 years at this point, and one of their big things had been uh, doing down the train network, privatizing as much as they could, and closing down rail stations and moving everybody onto cars. It was a stated goal of the government to move people to be more of a car-based society and away from a train-based society. So the cars versus trains debate was very much of the moment at the time of this film. Wasn't mm-hmm. this very much, this, this was just immediately post-Thatcher, wasn't it? Yeah. And yeah. it, was, it was this government that had basically decided they couldn't afford to keep up the, the government-owned rail network. It all had to be broken up and sold off and turned crap, basically. 
And we're still trying to put it back the way it was today. Oh, they're still, and they're trying to do that with, uh, they've been doing that with the NHS, haven't they? They've been, no, they'd they've been, like to. They, they haven't been able to. The Tories have been after NHS since it was founded. They've been trying to do away with it entirely, and, and finally now they're actually kind of screwing things up badly. And like, if they can't do away with it entirely, then they'll do their best to screw it up the way they did with the, uh, the train system. It sounds like. But the, the, the attitude of the boil is very much the attitude of the prevailing government of the day at this point. Um, anyway, it's time to take action, and the boil is finally strong enough to control first one, and then both of Dennis's arms. It starts to pulse and swell. It covers Dennis with bandages while it grows large enough to replace him entirely. Original Dennis is now reduced to a squirming lump, while Dennis's new head, complete with a mustache, is now ruling the roost. He celebrates by cramming his gob with fish fingers and ketchup, and somehow this is the most disgusting sight in the movie with the talking boil. Ugh. Uh, this actually really reminds me of the... Uh, uh, of that bit from Naked Lunch about the man who taught his asshole to talk that eventually takes over his whole body and can't help but wonder if that was in, this movie was inspired by that a little bit. Mm. Can, can, can we just pause for a second and recognize just how clever the, um, the practical uh, like um, uh, cutaway was on this, right? Yeah. They did this whole thing with like basically stage theater tricks and it still kind of works like you can see exactly what they're doing yeah, it's, well it's, uh, it's an, an incredibly committed performance from richard e grant very low budget special effects but everybody just goes with it and yeah it's it's pulled off exactly right right there's that one hidden cut where like he pulls the cloth far enough over his head like so that you can't see any richard e grant so that they can cut for a second and then switch him out with mustache, and then he comes back in. Yeah. Like, I thought it was great. I was, I was very impressed. With the whole <laughs> yeah, they, I agree. Um, that was pretty Me cool. too. <laughs> uh, soon enough, orderlies come, and it's time for surgery, but they're going to lance the wrong head. The new head is delighted and can't wait. Poor Dennis finally got his wish to get his boil lanced. He just wasn't expecting to be the one who would get the knife. Yeah, and as scenes of boiled bait, brainwashing body horror go, this is the best. And no one, no one checked his chart and noticed that it was on the opposite shoulder? And let me just say, uh, from, from all of my experience and friends of mine who do work in hospitals, that is totally a mistake that happens all the goddamn time. Oh. And most times they actually make the patient initial before they get anesthetized, initial which side is getting um, operated on, like which knee or which yes. shoulder or which elbow. You have to like, you use a Sharpie and you write on yourself, this elbow, not this elbow. Yeah. Maybe yeah, can't yeah. be too uh, careful. But maybe yeah, not in so, the 80s, so, they didn't uh, do that. Less than a decade ago, there was a really seminal book that came out about this um, new innovation that they implemented in uh, medical process in general in hospitals to try to improve and prevent this sort of bullshit from happening all the goddamn time. It's by Atul Gawande, it's a wonderful book. It's literally called The Checklist Manifesto, meaning a checklist. All they had to introduce was, don't forget to check this every time. So it's just a check, like literally, and that's in the last 10 years. Prior to that, they weren't even doing a basic checklist. Oh, I mean, sure I have a cousin who had the wrong the right knee operated leg. on. We know all, I mean, I'm sure we mm -hmm. all know someone who's had this happen. Yeah. 
But it's, it's always it's also kind of like you know this the accident is that the leftist head is the one that gets uh, gets cut off. You know? Oh yes, yes, yes. that's not the that's not the main point of the movie. Here is about medical malpractice or anything. It's just very funny aside yeah. <laughs> that this actually happened in real life. Yet it keeps happening to the left. That that's the thing that keeps happening. But it's all by accident entirely. Oh yeah. What did what did Andy say though? I said, as scenes of boiled, braced, brainwashing body horror go, this is the best. Yes. <laughs> In an extremely uh, specific subgenre. Well, it's a bright new summer day, and Dennis is back on form. He has ideas again, and he has a very big idea about how to sell pimple cream. It's risky, but the plan is just crazy enough that it might work. The problem isn't selling the cream, the problem is that there aren't enough pimples. Evil Boyle Dennis proposes a campaign to make boils and pimples and acne fashionable, and when the dust settles and the fad fades, there will be a gigantic new market begging for a fresh new pimple product. It's the idea of an insane, twisted brilliance, and of course, the clients eat it up. Um, again, not wrong. This reminds uh, me of the whole like deal of, um, what was it, razor companies inventing the whole, like, ladies, you need to shave your everything and just to sell more razors and it's like yeah. oh yeah yeah women didn't used to shave worked. anything yeah well yeah i mean the the concept of bad breath was invented because listerine needed something to do with their product yeah they even made up the word halitosis to make it sound more medical yeah. it doesn't, doesn't mean anything yeah <laughs> and then the same same thing with dr shoals they you know I, i'm not sure if it was dr shoals who invented bromidrosis but that's the uh that's the the the, the term feet? they came up with there represents stinky feet, bromidrosis. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, it's it's easier to sell the solution once you've made the problem. Anyway, so if you like the, if you like Frank Zappa, yeah, Stinkfoot. They, they actually that song by uh, Frank Zappa. They mentioned bromidrosis. One of my favorite songs by uh, by Frank Zappa actually. Um, soon Dennis is on a set helping to film an advert featuring a very 1980s post-punk rendition of My Generation as sung by a punkette with pimples. It's gonna go gangbusters. Dennis is almost back to being his old self, fancy suits, expensive wine, his wife barely has any reason to think anything is wrong, and their anniversary is coming up, and it's gonna be their biggest and most middle-class party yet. Gonna be bougie to the max. Bougie to the max, gaggly with a spoon. Oh, I don't feel so good, guys. Yeah, seriously, all this talk of paranoia and madness is a lot less fun when you've got an actual paranoid tosser up there going on about biscuits in the projection booth. This is why I only ever play long educational board games on my own. I am getting dangerously sober over here. Anyone got any vodka? I'd settle for a light liqueur or even a wine cooler at this point. No, seriously, I feel... Weird. Hey, Daniel, what do you say the side effects of the pheno... Whatchamacallit are again? The fentonarcolan. Uh, and, and it's night screams, green piss, violent hair, and the bulges. But that last one's super rare. I mean, you'd have to be allergic or something. Or... I think I'm... Allergic? Oh, you look bigger. This isn't good. Guys, this isn't good. Brother Daniel, 
What's going to happen next? Uh, do you remember the ending to, like, every episode ever of the Power Rangers when the bad guy gets all big? Of course. We can use this. Uh, either that or the ending to Akira. Uh, um, I'm gonna go with the first. Brother Zack, think large... But, but not grotesquely, swellingly, explodingly huge. Thoughts? I don't think this is gonna end well. When shut does up. it? Shut up, shut up. Keep going with the conflict. Don't let on anything's happening. I guess I can uh, take this part. <laughs> um, yeah, keep reading before it gets suspicious. Penny the Almost Vegan turns up to help Julia with her party preparations, and Julia confides that Dennis doesn't quite seem like himself just yet. For one thing, she started having these, these bad dreams about Dennis's Boyle talking to her at night, warning her that she has to cut her husband's head off with a carving knife, and going on about some kind of important secret in Dennis's briefcase? The Dream Force even told her the combination for the briefcase lock. What's more, Dennis has become sex mad and she's running out of headaches. You know what she's talking about, ladies. <laughs> Apparently the Boyle is taking full advantage of being behind the steering wheel as it were and it's freaking her out. <laughs> Soon their horrible middle class friends start turning up and Julia warns them that Dennis is still recovering and so in the event that anything unusual comes up, just try to act like everything is normal and try not to excite him. Oh my god, Meanwhile, so British. Oh yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, evil Boyle Dennis is making his own preparations. As he shaves, he talks to what's left of the Boyle, which used to be Dennis. He's looking very unwell after being lanced. He's not got long left. Evil Boyle Dennis makes it very clear that he's going to make sure no one ever finds out about Dennis's attempts to blow the lid on it all with his video recordings and he's going to make sweet, sweet love to Julia. Maybe they'll have a newborn bouncing boil bee before long. Uh, fuck. <sighs> Dennis, now reduced to little more than a moaning, sickly little face, swears vengeance, but there's not much he can do. He barely even counts as much more than a rash at this point. Quaid, Quaid, <laughs> turn on the reactor. Open your mind. We gotta set up like a creepy puppet playgroup. <laughs> Get Clark Nova, this guy, and and Quato all together. Yeah. Um, evil Boyle Dennis, which is now I guess my favorite name for a character ever. Ideas have been spreading. At the party, his boss at the advertising agency is blathering on about how good an idea it is to create a problem and then roll up with a solution. Oh, we were just literally talking about this. Um, Dennis is being called a genius now, but word is also getting around about his insatiable appetites. <laughs> Bloody Penny just can't keep her trap shut. Very... The, the gossip vibe is quickly traveling around. Oh, yeah. This. There's no gossip like middle-class gossip at parties. I... Uh, no middle-class white ladies? They ain't got nothing to do but talk. Because middle-class gossip won't stop. Woo -woo. True. I mean, also, it just... Uh, I can't... I can't with the middle-class stuff because, like, it just... This does not... I mean, I know that's because Overton Window and this and that and whatever, but, like, this is so high-class. I'm so... 
Anyway. Bougie, bougie, Bourgeoisie. Bourgeoisie. This is what the middle class was. This is not like, okay, you haven't, this only seems high class because you haven't seen what high class looks like. Like, we don't, you don't get to see it. And again, we grew up in a culture that has been saying for the longest time that everybody is middle class. It doesn't, if you're working class, you've been brainwashed into saying you're middle class. If you're upper class, you've been brainwashed into saying you're middle class. Everybody in America is middle class, but we're not. There are actually class distinctions. You can see them. It's just, we'll say blue collar or white collar. Yeah. Moving right along. Yeah, all right, Trotsky. <laughs> what are you doing with that ice axe? Get away from me. They all need to be put against the wall when the revolution comes. <laughs> in any case, evil Boyle Dennis gives a speech, which is the sort of thing you do at these things, and the party is going very well indeed. Dennis proposes a toast to Boyles, acne, and blackheads. L'chaim! <laughs> That's such a weird thing. I just like this moment. It's just like I can't imagine being like just a kid that like had was brought along to this party, and then you just hear this random adult stand up and start talking about boils, and you're like, when the fuck do I get to go home? I didn't sign up for this shit. I hear standing with my fucking Shirley Temple, just not even really aware of what's going on. And this motherfucker just... She's like, where's my fucking Game Boy? Jesus. Well, it's like one of those those horrible corporate events where someone stands up and says, let's all raise a glass to the accounts receivable department. Oh, oh the accounts receivable. We couldn't do it without them. I mean, we couldn't, but... Oh. <laughs> anyway, everyone is gonna be so rich. Even Penny is feeling better now that she's eating meat again. Apparently, it's all about getting your vitamins and minerals. What kind of meat did Penny need? Oh, yeah. No, keep it going. What? <laughs> oh, oh. I <laughs> uh, never want to give up a chance to monologue. Evil Boyle Dennis supposes that he could sell hydrogen bombs to a committed anti-nuke friend of theirs because their bombs have a secret ingredient even the Soviets didn't think of. They're stuffed with peace, love, <laughs> flowers, and, and, uh. The secret ingredient is love. I mean, that's how they tried to sell it. <laughs> no, this was genius. This was like a serious Don Draper moment. Oh God, yes. It's weird. And the love comment also just made me think of this, um, if y'all have watched um, Amazing Digital Circus, just like, I put in all the love I'm legally allowed to use. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> it's not entirely clear what he means, but come on, how much can you expect from an evil boil masquerading as an advertising executive? It doesn't matter anyway. Whatever he says, people just... Uh, doesn't matter anyway. Whatever he says, people just think he's even more of a genius. Yes, yeah, so this is just uh, Elon Musk, but British and with a mustache. Uh -huh. I, I wouldn't say that this is an evil boy masquerading as an advertising executive. I think it's kind of the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this guy's... His, his personality and molecules dispersed out into the into the ether and became Don Draper, Elon Musk, and uh, Loki. Yeah, or, or or to cite yet another commercial campaign, I see your true colors oh, shining. No singing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
That's my job. Stay at your own lane, sir. <laughs> but wait, there's more. What's this? A little voice out of thin air insulting the guests? Could it be? Yes. The last gasp of boil-faced Dennis squeaking out from under a tuxedo. Evil Boyle Dennis isn't going to put up with this and immediately takes action. His evil plan is to make sure that Dennis has to sit there incapable of stopping him when <laughs> the shagging begins. <laughs> All I can think of is that scene in um, Family Guy where they're making fun of British porn and the guy's just standing straight still over his wife. Almost. Almost. Oh, there it is. Oh, yes, I am arriving. <laughs> 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 so, he quite sensibly finds a tube of super glue and uses it to shut Dennis up, sealing his teeny little mouth. Gobble up that goo. You gobble it up. That's so, it's, it's so sad. It's such a horrible thing to do. At it's least. a real cask of a Montelado kind of scene. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> to celebrate his victory, evil Boyle Dennis heads back into the party and invites a random friend for a close dance. Uh, yeah, this this part really was like, what guy's completely gone off the deep end. Um, snuggling against evil Boyle Dennis's shoulder, the woman hears something, a tiny voice, moaning about how Julia's in danger while evil Boyle Dennis delights in pointing out that she appears not to be with... Yep. Appears not to be wearing a bra under her dress. Ah, yes, that's... <coughs> that's exactly... That's exactly... Yeah, that's that's exactly what someone wants to hear. Just like... Oh, Real oh, smooth know. guy, this evil boy, Dennis. Oh, yeah. yeah. What the fuck? When Dennis starts whispering about how she has to get away before the rampant... Oh, my God! I... <sighs> I think I just sealed this scene away in my mind. <laughs> the, the tiny, like, the, the Boyle, the, the good e Dennis Boyle thinks that he's talking to Julia because they mentioned earlier that this woman was wearing the same perfume Julia usually wears. So right, the Boyle's all covered right. up. So he thinks it's Julia and he's trying to <sighs> warn her about what Boyle's going to do. But this guy's actually dancing with the guest, you know, so it comes off extra creepy. <sighs> But yeah, when Dennis starts whispering about how she has to get away before the rampant fucking starts, it all becomes too much and the poor woman screams and insists on leaving. Everyone suspects that Dennis is having one of his little turns again and the party breaks up. What a fucking, like, God, this guy. Oh, yeah. just one of his little turns. Oh, yes. Little turns. Hey, you ain't a bra under there. Come on. It's like, just a little bro. quirky, right? Listen, all I, all I can say is, could you just imagine if uh, this this uh, had been made a lot earlier and it had been the inspiration for like when Jerome Bixby wrote the Mirror Mirror episode of Star Trek and this is how we saw good and evil Spock? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Fuck you. Logic dictates that undergarments would not be viable with that dress. So am I to surmise that she no, but this not is basically what's going on, right? <laughs> Even down to how like the only physical difference between good and evil is like the facial hair. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. That is an evil mustache if I've Whatever ever seen one. That, is, that started the whole trope of, you know, beards are evil. <laughs> Facial hair, evil. Yeah, version. exactly. Uh, no, so I don't if, think Star Trek started that trope. I mean, that started in the 50s with the, you know, Lennon had a beard. Mm. <laughs> oh, oh, it goes it goes back way further than it that. It always but, goes but, back to McCarthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this goes back to, to like silent films and like the old westerns and stuff. But, but yeah, no. Yeah, it, the it mustache a, twirling bad guy, right? It's a popular trope. Uh, I do love it. The, the evil twin with the facial hair. Right. Which is also funny that we've come back also to the idea of, you know, the mainstream talking about like, you know, men need to wear facial hair, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. You see this in all of the, the yep. traditional, like, trad west crap you know they're always de depicted with the, yeah. the nazi haircut but also with a massive beard and mustache oh you oh, know no. why though right oh no because they can sell you products for your beard oh my god <laughs> oh that's a big part of it but it really more has to do with the whole point of showing and proof that you know you're a manly oh, man that was, um... ethan ethan that's just advertising <laughs> Big Beard is trying to get you. I thought it was a reference to like the the more like Abrahamic traditions, but because of a lot of that, a lot of that culture, and I hate that I've like been watching that train wreck for so long, just like observing from afar. But like it very much has that kind of root in fundamentalism kind of vibe, mm -hmm. where it's like you know you grow your beard out and this and that, and it's derived from the Abrahamic text for some reason. But I no no I no I think you're you're onto something. I mean we yeah. have been spending most of our lives living in an Amish paradise. <laughs> I mean, the... <laughs> you got me. <laughs> I didn't see you Fundamentalists of many, yeah, many religions I... grow their facial hair out. There is also a, a class reading of this as well, because if you go back to the 30s, mustaches specifically were associated with the working class, and so people mm. who wanted to oh. see middle class maybe wouldn't have one or would have a different style of mustache. It very much said what class you are. Then the moustache went away for all of the sort of 60s and 70s. It wanted to get away from that. Now we're in the 80s, and so the moustache has come back into fashion from being out in the wilderness for these decades. And so it's a sign of, again, him being the new modern man because he's got so a neatly trimmed moustache. It shows that he's a... Uh, He's so a thrusting executive. No. Yeah, I was about to ask about that, like specifically from the British perspective, because it was around this time, at least in the US, the mustache was making a comeback in certain respects where it was like, if, if you had the, um, you know, like the Magnum PI style mustache, that was like a laudable working class look, but it was definitely still kind of like working class. Yeah, it, it was coming back though, and people who wanted to ape that look of, of being like uh, very, um, well, that, that was on the very left relevant side. and very with it. We're well, bringing back the mustache in this class. Oh, okay. I mean, that was what was going on the left side of the pond. I mm -hmm. don't know what what you know mustache styles were like on on, on your end. It was I'm definitely glad. yeah. It was definitely a middle manager sort of. Uh, I'm I'm getting ahead with my career kind of a uh, mustache. That that totally jibes then. Okay, yeah. Because that's in fact what I, evil Boyle Dennis is doing. Yeah, I blame Holland Oates myself. <laughs> I blame Tom of Finland. <laughs> I got that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So after, oh, Dennis is just having one of his silly old turns, or he just asks people if they're wearing underwear or not. Um, while 
While helping friends with their coats and bags, Julia finds a briefcase, and someone offhandedly mentions that it belongs to Dennis. He had left it at work and they brought it over. Could this be the same briefcase that Julia has been having weird dreams about? That night, she just has to know. She starts whispering at the sleeping Dennis, trying to get the Boyle's attention. After everything that's happened, she might actually be ready to believe something is up with the pustule. Is it the Boyle talking, or all just Dennis muttering in his sleep? No matter, she hears a tiny voice answering her. She uses the plastic hose of a hoover to listen in closely. Conveniently, <laughs> this keeps up the fact that no one but Dennis actually ever sees the Boyle's gross little face close up. She asks where he has hidden the briefcase, and in the dead and in the dead of night, she finds it, and inside the briefcase, a video cassette, the one that Dennis had been recording for her earlier before he accidentally boiled his head. You know what I liked about this scene is when she got the hose and like put it there and she's listening and she goes, hey, pustule, what do you got to live for? And she presses on it and it goes, true love. Clearly said to blave. <laughs> Just watched that movie last night with my kids. Kids, ask your parents; they'll explain it. Unless you have great parents like me, and you've yes. seen it. Um, oh, just also this this quick pointing out that the 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 I love boils sticker on the back window <laughs> of the car. I after this movie, I was so done, so <laughs> done. Oh my god. Um. So, the tape recording is the one we saw Dennis recording earlier, with the box on his head. And as Julia watches, evil, boiled Dennis wanders into the room. He scoffs, the recording is pure nonsense, why bother listening? But since he remembers when it was recorded, he knows what the Boyle was saying to Dennis at the time. And any time the Boyle was speaking when we were watching this being recorded before, evil, boiled Dennis speaks up in the present and it is as though he is having a real-time conversation with himself through the television. It's really a neat moment that comes across as very spooky and, as ever, keeps up the doubt as to whether the Boyle was ever really talking or whether it was all Dennis all along. I... I think the Boyle was real. Say all you want. I know, I know <laughs> Hope had that segment earlier, but, like... Yeah, and this was really cool. Like, it was very clearly, like, the... Set up it was a really fun scene. I liked it, it a lot. Well. Yeah. yeah. Very well done. Frickin' bravo. And again, yeah. so simple. No real special effects involved, but yeah. it just creates this incredible sudden moment of what's happening. Very effective. Mm -hmm. right. Evil Boyle Dennis tries to reassure Julia there are reasonable explanations for everything that she's seen, everything he's done. Things have been a little difficult, but he's feeling so much better now, and he's all over this beastly stress that's been making him so upsetting to be around. It's like the end of 2001, when Hal is trying to calmly explain that he's fine now, except with more skin complaints. Hal never had boils, it really makes you think. What if Hal <laughs> did have boils? Now, yeah, I don't want to think I, about that. Actually, you know what? I'm taking all that back. Dennis goes on in the recording, talking about all the things that are wrong in the world and how guilty he feels about it, while evil boy Dennis cynically points out how weird and stupid it all sounds. World commodity crisis, environmental collapse by the year 2000, price fixing of vital commodities like oil or even air, <laughs> pure fantasy, surely, madness, yes, well, 
Julia is clearly starting to wonder which of the two Dennises she actually likes better. Evil Boyle Dennis might look like the same one, but he wants to give everyone boils and then sell them pimple cream because that's how you make money in the real world. Ah, God. The usage of real world always irks me every time. <laughs> I mean, I know, I, know, I know the context it's used in right here, but that's clearly like the point, but I'm just like, ugh. Um, yeah. <laughs> Grow up and give people pimples so that you can sell them pimple cream. What are you, some kind of sissy? <laughs> like, the, that's, that's, that's so funny because that's not even a grown-up thing to, anyway. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know this is uh, off topic, but it really makes me think, again, we were talking about, you know, socialism, and um, if you think about maybe the countervailing influence that was being exercised in television at the time, which was the Smurfs, which, believe it or not, one of the earliest um, um, websites was somebody excoriating the Smurfs for being communist propaganda. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They, they believed that Smurf was an acronym for socialist men under a red father. And, uh, <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. The Smurf represented Karl Marx because he wore red and had a great big beard and was getting trying to get everybody to get along and live together for the good of the collective. <laughs> and, that, I, uh, and that brainy Smurf was Leon Trotsky. Yes, I, I love that website. Oh my god, one of my first one of my first ever zines from like junior high school was was about that uh, website and its conspiracy theory. Uh, but so here's the fun part: it's not entirely wrong. No. So the Smurfs. So the Smurfs. Here, here's the thing to remember, though: the Smurfs. The the source material of the Smurfs is um, children's stories that were written in the I want to say 60s in like northern Europe, like Sweden, yeah, Norway, uh, etc. No, they're from Grand northern France. France. Not France. Oh, northern Belgium. Belgium. Belgium, sorry. There you go. But which is heavily socialist, certainly at the time. And it was basically just kids' stories in the same way that you have kids' stories that are like, hey, the power of friendship and magic, but also the power of working together as a community and not worrying about ownership and capitalist ideals and things like that. And it's, yeah, it's a socialist utopia in a kids' <laughs> show. Communist so, homotopia. Uh, it's not entirely wrong, but again, it's one of those, yeah, sounds like a party. So, you see, Gar folks, so uh, Gargamel represents capitalism, which is always yes, trying to devour the he socialist does. idea. He's trying yeah. to always turn them into gold. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, he also does represent an anti-Semitic trope, which is not so great, but yeah. hey, <laughs> e France. See, folks, the internet didn't create the crazy. The crazy was just there all along waiting uh, to get online. It just yeah, curated. It. Yeah. For sure. That is for sure Okay. Uh, sorry, right, I know on. that was off topic, but... No, no, no that sorry, was a good one. Right, so do you want to conclude? Yeah. Well, now Please. I want to know what the Transformers symbolized. Uh, let's save that for next time. <laughs> uh, rampant <laughs> consumerism. All right, cut to the next day, or maybe the next month or year. Evil Boyle Dennis is burning the cassette tape along with everything else he's put behind him. Julia has left him. She thought it would be harder than it turned out to be, but she couldn't handle the person he's become anymore. Dennis hears the Boyle one last time, telling him that he is lost because Julia is free, but Evil Boyle Dennis just laughs. Lose? He's Dennis Dimbleby Bagley. He's got a big house, a big car, and a big advertising budget. Dennis is on top of the world. He's taking a walk through a stable now and randomly decides to have a horse ride while he makes one last speech. A speech 
to the whole world to explain how things are going to be. All that matters to this Dennis is choice. Do I want it or not? Do I buy this or that? The ultimate freedom of the consumer. Buy that toothpaste, buy that car. The whole world is a shop, and if it isn't for sale, then it isn't worth having. The old Dennis didn't believe in freedom. He didn't even want roads everywhere. Without roads, there is no access to the good things in life. No more tin spaghetti, no more deodorants or tea bags, no more long life cream or chewing gum. After all, don't roads represent the ultimate freedom to go where one wants? More than anything, people love their cars. They have every right to them. Cars and every technical innovation that modern science can bring. Why shouldn't people have 10% more of this or 15% less of that? Dennis has finally reached his crowning moment. He's going to sell them anything and everything. They're going to get it bigger and better than ever before. Dennis will give them anything that they could ever want. I said, and if they don't want it yet, he'll make them want it. As the music swells and he takes in Britain's green and pleasant land laid out before him like a multi-level shopping plaza, Dennis sees the future and it's going to be big. And I just want to make a point here. The music they're playing is Holst's the, uh, from Holst's The Planets Suite. This is Jupiter Bringer of Jollity. Well, the, um, the actual, the, the music is, was reworked into Jerusalem. You know, the, the sort of semi-hymn song poem that they sing at rugby matches all the time, you know. And did Jesus walk on these green fields of England's green and pleasant lands and all that kind of stuff? So it's up to, to the British, it's an incredibly patriotic, hyper-British piece of music yeah, about no, how... Jupiter you know, Reservality? Yeah, no, yep. they, they specifically ripped off Holst for that. Yeah, they, it's, it has a dual meaning because it got turned into this uh, nationalistic oh. hymn but about how uh, Britain is where the new Jerusalem will be built because everything is going to be made perfect here. Yeah, I know. I just wanted to stand up and start singing, Oh, Canada, our home and native land. Right? Well, this was a... Canadian. <laughs> I mean, this was a not uncommon cinematic move of satires of the like political satires of the 70s and, and 80s which was to end on the pie end right like just right. a big giant ridiculous speech that it's like plot plot's gone we're just we're just going for it like chew that scenery my man just dive right in um, right. And the British see, equivalent of the greed is good monologue at the end of... Uh, absolutely. Yes, exactly. at the end of exactly. Wall Street. Yeah. yeah, it's the same, exact same, exact same. He, he's the British Gordon Gecko. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I figured, you know, why wait, you know? I mean, you'll never get your moment unless you take your moment, and sometimes that means exotic poisons and kidnapping, you know? Wait, wait a minute. What the buggery bollocks is this? Is this a hobnob with no chocolate? Who knew? That's it. I'm getting the big stick. No, don't beat me terribly, I beg of you. What's that? It's... It's a giant bearded flesh baby trying to cover its modesty with a comically small fez. Andy. 
there are times in the doings of men when one must stand up and face the consequences of one's actions. Yes, these are moments. Moments of courage. I want you to go out there and sacrifice yourself while I flee. He's bumped off. Betrayal. Backstabbery. Blackguardism. Oh, no! That episode of the Cinemania Society was written and performed by Andy Slack, Daniel Scribner, Andrea Palladino, Alessa Luz Martinez, Hope Bravo, Ethan Ireland, and Zachariah Burks. Music by Carl Casey at Whitebat Audio. Incidental music and sound effects courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Visit our social media feeds on Facebook, Twitter, X, at TCS underscore Cinemania, and Reddit at r slash the Cinemania Society. If you really like what you've heard, visit us on Patreon and chuck us a couple bones, because making podcasts ain't free. The Cinemania Society is a product of the Cinemania Society, LLC.